Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 145. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Here to celebrate the 60th anniversary of The Parent Trap, starring Haley Mills in a dual role. Now, I have a confession to make because I know this is one of those classic Disney films that everybody has seen. Until we sat to review this show, I had only seen it in bits and pieces. I had never actually sat to watch this film in its entirety. I'll do you one better. I had only seen the Lindsay Lohan one. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Don't I ad- hope they don't take my card away. Yeah, my Disney fan card. Don't admit that to too many people. Even though the Lindsay Lohan one is a lot of fun. We'll talk about it eventually. But um, yeah, you would think it's Haley Mills. When you have her originating a role and Lindsay Lohan picking it up before Lindsay Lohan was a train wreck, of course, you would think that after seeing the remake, you would have been drawn to see the original, especially because you're such a cinephile. I mean, this is your industry. You're right. I really have no excuse for never having seen this before, especially because my mother loved Haley Mills. She was always talking about Pollyanna. That was one of her favorites. She never mentioned Moonspinners, though, um, which we just reviewed a couple of weeks ago. We hit it on a monoreal radio roulette. So if you're sick of Haley Mills, we apologize. But here we are. We weren't going to miss the chance to talk about the 60th anniversary. Of course not. And so the question is, upon a full viewing for each of us, did we like it? Does the movie hold up compared to the remake? That's what we are here to discuss today. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs. And definitely keep an eye on that Instagram because Heather and Taylor of the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. are taking a trip to Disney soon. So I can only assume we're going to see a lot of exciting new product shots. Yeah, I'm excited. Sharon and Susan are twins separated at birth who meet at summer camp. They feud and bicker until they realize they are sisters. Sharon lives with her mother, Peggy, in Boston, while Susan lives with her father, Mitch, in California. California. Uh, they decide to switch places so each can meet the parent they otherwise don't know while also forcing their divorced parents back together because when they were split up, one parent took one, one parent took the other. Of course, the girls had no idea that this has happened. They cut Sharon's hair and prep each other on all they need to know to pull off their scheme. In Boston, Susan meets her mother and pries about her marriage, while in California, Sharon learns that her father is set to marry a young gold digger named Vicky. When Sharon tells Susan what's happening, she suggests that Sharon return with her mom to California to intervene, but Susan refuses to give up the time that she's had with her mother since she has just arrived, and she doesn't want that trip to be cut short. Sharon confides in Verbena, the housekeeper, who she really is, and her father tells her that he wants to marry Vicky, which sets her off. Sharon calls Susan and tells her the trouble that they're in, so Susan agrees to come back to California and that she will bring her mother with her, a conversation that their grandfather overhears. The next day, Susan confesses that she is not Sharon, and they pack to go to the West Coast. 
house. Uh, they arrive in California unbeknownst to their father and break the news to their mother that he is remarrying. Through a comedy of errors, their parents are reunited and the girls expose what they did. Vicky and her mother are appalled by Peggy's visit as she really lays it on thick with Vicky. That night, the girls recreate their parents' first date and discuss a six-month split of the twins. Six months in California, six months in Boston. The girls, refusing to give up, dress identically and refuse to reveal who is Sharon and who is Susan and pitch that all four of them go on a camping trip but it is Vicky that goes in uh, Peggy's place. Vicky is far from the outdoors type, and the girls do everything they can to ruin her experience. After two days, Vicky ends the relationship and storms off. That night, their parents reconcile and eventually remarry. So the movie starts off with this really trippy stop motion where... The title card reads, Bless Our Broken Home. I was shocked. Not that it said anything highly offensive, but I was just so surprised that they hit you with that up front. Yeah, I did not see that coming. No, and I'm surprised that they spent so much time on the opening credits that they bothered to do a whole stop motion sequence. I get that it's the Sherman Brothers, so of course you want to highlight their work, but this was only their first full-length feature film. We had recently reviewed Absent-Minded Professor, and they did do the one song for that. They did the fight song for the opening title sequence, um, and that was their first Disney film, but this was the first time that they had the whole movie. Uh, so it's not like they were even contractually obligated to have such a feature in this. Well, I guess that's it. If they believed enough in the music that they were writing, it would only make sense that they would go into this very elaborate stop-motion opening because they want to showcase not only what they can do as far as animation, but I guess they did want to showcase this song. But let, we're, we're going to put a pin in this because we're going to talk about the songs later on. Let's talk about the actual beginning of the film where we get to camp. I think the set is really great. Yeah, especially considering that they built all of it. I thought right. maybe this was an on-location film or maybe they had even done Pinewood in London Yeah, because it doesn't look like Southern California, but this was all done on Golden Oaks. It looks great. You get uh, the chauffeur is dropping off. I'm going to screw this up all day. Uh, he's dropping off Sharon. The chauffeur is dropping off Sharon. And Susan is more of your tomboy, which is funny because she does come from California, from Carmel. But, I mean, yeah, she grew up on a ranch, so I guess it really does make sense that she is sort of a tomboy. Um, but it's interesting immediately that you get such a stark contrast between both of these characters. It's actually a very good introduction because they look different, they dress different, they speak differently. Um, I thought this was a really strong start to the movie. Visually, yes, but I hate to say this because this is a Walt era film and it's Haley Mills. I mean, this is peak Disney right here. The beginning causes me to ask so many questions and I feel like we don't get a lot of answers. And I, I really don't 
like when that happens, when you're trying to establish a film and give, give us all the important plot points and set up the characters and my mind starts racing. And maybe that's just me. That's this a might be thing. more of a, a me problem thing. that I'm overanalyzing it. But I want to know why coming from these different areas, how they ended up at this camp and why they're here. Because it's not a full length summer camp. It doesn't last the duration from, for argument's sake, Memorial Day to Labor Day. It lasts two weeks because when they go home, the girls don't go right back to school. They still have a couple of weeks before and that's why they get to do this switcheroo and spend time with the parent that they haven't known yet. I was under the impression that this was a camp that went for... I thought it went for eight weeks, but this, you know what? I think my problem is because we watched this and we watched the Lindsay Lohan one. And I think that's eight weeks. I think they actually define it in that film that that was eight weeks. But let's for arguments say that this is eight weeks or even a month. Why are they there then? Because in the dad's case, I think it's a little bit more plausible that maybe he wanted to ship her off to camp so that he could spend time with his fiance, his wife to be. Um, but on the mother's end, it doesn't really make sense because she's not working. So it's not like you need to keep the children occupied or child in her case, because it's, it's not like she can't watch her. Plus she lives with her parents. So you're telling me the grandparents, I mean, I get it. They're a well-to-do family. So you certainly wouldn't think that they'd be sending their child to a camp. I mean, look, you got to have a movie <laughs> and and this is based off a book, but I will agree with you that the only misstep in having the girls so different, I buy that Susan, the tomboy, would go to this camp and she'd rough it and she'd, you know, swim in the lake and whatever and live without air conditioning. But Sharon, who's like this little debutante in Boston... It kind of like does not make sense that she would be at this camp. And and, and similarly, we don't know where this camp is. Does it sound familiar? We don't know where this camp is. You've got one from Boston. You've got one from California. So it does beg the question, how did they both end up here? But if you're going to start asking questions like that, then just turn the movie off. Well, I guess my issues are more with the book than the film because this is a problem of the source material. But I'll give you that. I'll buy that Susan would go to this camp and this is like a a yearly thing for her. Right. And that does sort of get established that they do return every year because when Sharon shows up in her limo, everybody, you know, caters to her and makes sure she settles in. So clearly they've been here before, but that's my point. I buy more that Sharon would be shipped off to finishing school or something like yeah. that over the summer and not that she would be at this camp so we just need a little bit more why and how and yes to your point where it sounds familiar is because I said the same thing about Camp Rock is it locally famous or is it you know internationally renowned as the music place to be I thought that was kind of funny too that uh, we chose to do Camp Rock and then this comes up and I totally forgot it starts at a camp so we're there the girls meet each other basically basically right away they don't waste any time introducing them And they basically dislike each other because 
dislike each other. They they kind of just do for the sake of. And I understand they're from two completely separate backgrounds, but you're kind of led to believe that none of these kids are from one area. They're not from one state. They're not from one neighborhood. They're all of different backgrounds. They're all of different uh, social status in terms of perhaps their class or income because, you know, th th it just seems like this is a melting pot of youth here. Um so the fact that I, I think they were kind of going with the this one's snooty, this one's a tomboy and she looks like me, so I don't like her. And they kind of leaned into it a little bit. I kind of feel like that whole thing is a waste of time because you don't really need them to be antagonists toward each other because once they get to the father's ranch, they have Vicky that they have to compete against. And once you eliminate Vicky... You have to get them back with the mother and and they're enemies in and of themselves. So to have all of this conflict, I feel like it was, I say it all the time, conflict for conflict's sake. I think they went for it for the laughs because yeah. we talked about it the past two weeks with Camp Rock is that, you know, this genre is known for its camp wars and the prank wars. So I guess you needed some of the pranks to bring the humor into this film. And, um, you know, you do get it where they, they destroy the dance scene uh, and the cake falls on Miss Inch's head, um, which, by the way, the director was going to cut and Walt said, no, leave it in. That's going to be the biggest laugh of the film. So I get where you do need all of this, but I just feel like they got so angry that they look like, like, wouldn't you be so curious? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would. Even if, you know, you have both your parents and you see somebody that looks exactly like you, I would have a million questions. Yeah. Let's talk about the prank that gets them into their isolation, because that's the thing. You need to get them into isolation to develop the relationship and to expose that they're sisters. There's a dance with. I don't know. The they're boys, like a Boy Scout camp, you know, it's the neighboring boys camp. Yeah. Seen it a thousand times, Trope. although. Well, it's a trope now, but this was 1961, so this was probably one of the first to do it. So I actually give it a pass on this one. And you wouldn't have a co-ed camp. Correct. So I give this, for the most part, any trope of a camp film that happens in this movie, by and large, I'm going to give it a pass due to its age. If it happened last year, I'd say trope, but in this case, not so much. But anyway, they're having this dance, and it is... I gotta look at the damn thing. Susan, uh, um, Susan is dancing. I'm gonna do it all day. So imagine directing this film. Susan is dancing with a boy, and Sharon, the little debutante, decides that after they step out onto the deck of the building that they're in, that she and her two friends are going to cut a huge hole in her dress to expose her backside and her underwear. Savage. It, it is so savage. It's so savage. They really go for it. And it's funny that it comes from Sharon. See, I'd expect this out of Susan. So I think that's why it's shocking, and I think that's why it's funnier, because it's coming from Miss Prim and Proper. See, I thought that the first time that we watched it, but the second time, Sharon had to do something big to get even, because... What Susan did was pretty horrible, where she trashed her cabin. Right. Which, first of all, I don't believe that they managed to pull off such an elaborate prank without waking anyone up because they've got it 
rigged with all of these trip wires and you know one sets off the honey and one sets off the molasses and then one sets off feathers so they're going to be absolutely covered and it backfires because the camp counselors are coming in and the the owner of the camp miss inch she's coming in to do an inspection of the cabin so of course she's going to find it trashed um so you did have to kind of fight dirty in order to get even for something like that because it's not just having to it's not just about being covered in sticky stuff you have to clean up the mess and you got in big trouble for it so the stakes had to be big but that it's dirty it's low it is but i don't think the punishment fits the crime they get sent to their own remote cabin. I don't think that this punishment sucks. I think the idea that you're going to take these two people who really do not like each other and force them into a confined space is kind of the punishment that they're trying to like convey it's so bad. But at the same time, you've got your own table. And of course, it says isolation table. So you're the, cent- you're the center of attention, not not positively, but you've got your own table in the cafeteria. You've got this whole cabin to yourselves. It's just the two of you. You're not sharing it with eight or nine other girls. Um, I really don't see where the punishment fits the crime, but I understand that you have to get them to the point that they realize that they're sisters. If it's me, and I know that that's where I'm going, I'm going to find a friend, and I'm going to cause trouble one day so that we can go have our own cabin and just be left alone. Fair point. It's interesting that you choose the words punishment fitting the crime because that's exactly what Miss Inch says. She does think that this is a fitting punishment. And I think, you know, deep down, her goal was to make them get along because you are in complete isolation. You don't have anyone but each other, which I find kind of weird because no one was watching them. Who's to say they didn't just leave the cabin? Yeah, I mean, if you were watching all these girls play sports and whatever, you would eventually see Susan or Sharon mixed in. But who's to say that they're not just going to walk off? I agree with you that the main reason for getting them into isolation would have to be because they have to see the picture of the parents and right. put the two and two together, or one and one together in this case. Uh, but I think a lot of the isolation was also driven by the production because for the most part, they were using a body devil who had to sign off when she was cast that she would go uncredited. Uh, And until D23 recently did an interview with her, she remained uncredited for almost her whole life because they really wanted to sell this as, you know, and I could totally see Walt pitching this as, as look what we did and look at the technology. Um, But they did a lot of this as a split screen and then they had to take the two strips of film that they shot on and merge them together into one to get that effect of Haley Mills playing opposite herself. So you can't really do that with anyone else in the shot because they had to line up their background so carefully. And that's kind of the tell. I mean, obviously you kind of know when it's the body double because they're shooting one of them over the shoulder and the other one is straight on. But the other tell when they're doing the script, the split screen is because you can kind of see a line in the background. Like they yeah. frame them as such where they're in front of a door and the line for the door is in between them or um, the bed, probably most notably at the end. Like 
you you can it's kind of a giveaway like the technology at the time was mind-blowing but looking at it now i mean i can still appreciate the the effort that went into it but you can kind of see the difference you kind of can but i think the effect is still impressive i think it still looks really good oh it absolutely holds up but i'm just to to make the point that's why you couldn't have so many other people. They, right. There's no way that they could have done this if they were in the middle of a game. Even if they were playing tennis, mm-hmm. it's, it's too much. So in layman's terms, just so that we can get this out of the way, Haley Mills would read a Sharon line with the body double, with the body double as Susan on the other side. And then they would not touch the camera, not touch the lights, change her clothes, change her wig flip them to the other side, and then it would be vice versa. And then when they printed it, they put like a black strip over one side of the film so that the film didn't get exposed by light. Right. And then they would do it again. So in other words, they filmed it twice and printed the movie twice. Printed it once for these scenes. So it's two strips of film, and then when they did the print... Pretty much everything, everything else except for these split screenshots was on one film strip and then they would merge the two onto the one in the printer for the split screen. Correct. Um, so that it's a very expensive and confusing, but that was how they did it. And it begs the question, why didn't they just cast twins? But I mean, we've seen Walt do this before, right? Is look, look at what me. we achieved. Yeah. And it's and I'm, I'm not taking a dig at the man because he's brilliant, but... How many times did he bankrupt his company because he wanted to push forward because he knew he could do it? Well, it paid off. It paid off for him and his family and for the rest of us. Certainly. Okay, let's get into the actual scheme here. Because the girls now they now realize they're sisters and it's very overwhelming for them. Um, once it all sinks in, I think this scheme is great. I love the prep that they do. The over-the-top prep, the scenes where Boston is teaching California how to speak like Boston. That's a great way to do this. And vice versa. But really, at the end of the day, it's Haley Mills just trying to hide her British accent. And she does. I like Haley Mills a lot. She does an okay job of it. I would not, I'm not going to say it was great. I'm going to say it was okay. But... The fact that she was able to play this dual role and do it as flawlessly as she did, you can overlook the fact that at times the British accent comes through. But I thought the whole planning and the execution was really good. I agree with you. As far as the accent goes, they're very careful to hide it in the scenes where there are the both of them. Right. Uh, You know, and you, you have a more clear dialect, but I feel like they kind of forgot about that kind of continuity when she's by herself as either Susan or Sharon. Right. Because I'll buy it more from Sharon, the debutante, but there's no reason that Susan wouldn't have more of a California Valley girl. And they didn't even bother. I mean, she does a, a great job with the American accent, but she didn't take it as far as she could. And then I think you would have noticed it even less in those, in these scenes where she's standing on her own. Right. But where it's, where she's playing opposite herself, it's, it's pretty seamless. Um, I disagree with you though, as far as 
when they're they're setting up their scheme. I mean, I I like the idea that they are so careful to take it right down to the I chew gum a lot, I bite my nails. Yeah. Uh, to go over the floor plans of the house so you don't look completely like a fish out of water. I think that's all brilliant. But as far as meeting the parents, they are getting so offended by how they are treating the other parent you know susan is defending her father um because sharon is blaming him for the split yeah and they're taking digs at the parent that they don't know and i feel like they're just asking all of the wrong questions because why didn't they ever blame both parents for making such a stupid decision and we never get an explanation as to why they opted to split these children up and hide this from them. Um, I mean, you didn't really need it because if they did, you wouldn't have a movie. Um, yeah, it's a burning question. Why did they come to this conclusion and they don't ever answer it? And then the parents go so far as to admit that they did a terrible thing. But be that as it may, um, remember something. At the end of the day, they've only, for their whole life, because they're 13, going on 14, they've only ever heard one side of the story. And the side of the story, you know, they've heard about the other parent thinking they're never going to meet this person. So I can kind of forgive the aggressiveness and the insults that they are hurling at this other person that they haven't even met yet. Right, because... In your mind, if it's just you and your single parent, of course it's going to be the other person's fault when they've been absent for your entire life. But I guess my bigger gripe with it is that how did the parents think that it was a good... First of all, did you ever think that they were never going to find out? I mean, I guess in an age prior to social media and Ancestry.com, the odds of ever finding this secret out were very, very slim, which I think is going to totally be lost in translation nowadays. But the fact that you treated your twins as, you know, you split them up in the divorce the way that you would your Christmas china yeah, and whatever's in the bank account, like, they're, they're people. You can't treat them as an object that you can just divide up in the settlement. I mean, really, was that the extent of it? They look alike, so we each get one? Great. You know, the thing is, like, this was based on a book, so if this is how the book was written, then, okay, fine. But you would think that if Disney saw a flaw here, that they would have done what they could to mend it in their adaptation. But I guess they didn't see the problem with it. They must have thought the story is good enough as is, and they didn't want to touch it. I mean, I get that, but even, you know, once you get past the fact that each of these children has grown up without one of their parents, that's sad enough in and of itself, especially because they are, you know, this is just as much a coming-of-age film, especially for Susan, who hasn't had her mother. She yeah. she needs a woman in her life. But even more heartbreaking than that is that Susan has a whole family that she doesn't know. Like yeah. when she hugs her grandfather for the first time, I freaking lost it. Like, can you imagine you have other re- living relatives that you never met? It's just, it's not just about not growing up without a mother. That's awful. But to, to have missed precious years with your grandparents. Are you kidding me? 
Yeah, and she she smells his jacket, and he asks what she's doing, and I, I'm creating a memory. I want to remember that my grandfather smelled like peppermint and tobacco. That's worse than killing a parent, Disney. One of the few films where Disney does not do that. Well, you can't here. No, now you can't. So we go to Boston first, right? And, um, or as, oh, Boston, as, as Susan says it. Um, we go there first. We meet the grandparents. The thing is, everybody is losing their minds that, quote unquote, Sharon cut her hair. And they keep saying, your grandmother's not going to be happy. Your grandmother's not going to be happy. Then we meet her grandmother, who is not happy, but coincidentally also has short hair. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense that her grandmother would be this upset that she cut the flowing locks. This is, again, where the debutante backstory could have been fleshed out a little bit more. Um, Yes, it is essentially the same haircut on Susan slash Sharon as it is on the grandmother, but it might not have been an age-appropriate haircut. It might have been written off as that's a tomboy haircut back in the day, especially, you know, they are of that age, and if they are high society, they're going to want to present her. So, of course, this is, like, the worst thing that she could do was cut her hair. But otherwise, um, I think that the family that we get introduced to, I like them, I find them to be enjoyable, approachable, etc., and so forth. We'll talk about characters in a little while here, and we'll break them down a little bit more. I want to talk about the park scene, because the park scene with her mother, it is the first time that she's ever been with her mother. And of course, her mother has no idea that she's not with Sharon, she's with Susan. It's a really heartwarming scene. I actually think the scene is great, but... I'm not sure if it was just the way that it was shot on location, but I get the feeling that that entire park scene is like a bad blue screen because it just looks like the characters. It looks like they're walking in place, and it they, they have like that black halo around themselves. Like it doesn't look like it was blended terribly well. And for a movie that has been applauded for its special effects... And special effects that I still think hold up, it's a little strange to me that the blue screen would look that bad or that they wouldn't have taken to shooting on location. I don't I don't know if it is a blue screen, but it doesn't look clean enough to have been shot on location. I don't think it was a blue screen. It just might have been an exposure issue or maybe it had to do with this double print i mean they shouldn't have double printed anything onto the final film where it wasn't a split screen right but it just might have had to do with running it through that printer could be maybe certain things weren't as clean now that we're having saturday in the park in boston a song by chicago we are now going out to california and we meet Mitch, and we go to this really sensational ranch, um, which, by the way, over the course of the years, people have begged Disney for the exact floor plan of the living room in the ranch because they have wanted to recreate it so bad because it's like this really stunning living room. I don't think Disney has ever handed the blueprints or the floor plan over, though. But of all the things that people want from this movie, it's the floor plan from this ranch. Well, it doesn't exist. 
it's a whole set build. Yes, I know that. I thought that they I thought that they were shooting on location, but there's no floor plans for the house. It's just the one room that they did. I know. But people were obsessed with the way that it was decorated and they thought it was real and they wanted to recreate it in their own homes. Apparently, this was a big thing in 1961. It's beautiful. To me, it reminded me of a James Bond. Yeah, kind of, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like something like specters there somewhere. Exactly. I love when we'll call her Susan in air quotes. Really, this is Sharon playing Susan meets Vicky. Yes. I want okay, good, because this is where I was going next. Yeah. It I mean, it's a great conflict because they're doing a pretty great job of covering that they have actually switched places. I mean there's a couple of flubs. Oh, good. You noticed that I was biting my nails. I yeah. passed the test. Uh, but they're settling in. Clearly, Mitch believes that his daughter has returned home. So now you are presented with this other huge conflict and a complete wrench in the girl's plan. Um, what is so impressive, though, is that Susan or oh, my gosh, here we go. Yeah, okay. Here we go. Now it's your <laughs> turn. That Sharon picks up on it right away. Yeah. Obviously, she has no idea that Vicky was coming. Neither did Susan. There was no way for her to prep. But she rolls with it. And she starts talking about Mitch's parade of women who are yes. coming over all the time and trying to dissuade Vicky from wanting to marry him. I mean, without missing a beat, she just starts downplaying her father. It's amazing. And it, at first, you kind of feel bad for Vicky because she seems really nice at first. I mean, boy, does she really go off the deep end as this movie goes on. Um, but I thought that they showed a little bit of restraint because... What I liked about it was they didn't jump right into making her the villain. They kind of let that breathe for a couple of scenes where you thought maybe they're going to torture this poor woman who does want to be a part of this family, even though she's a lot younger. So like you kind of know why she's marrying him, but they don't out and out say it for a while. And she is trying to like kind of be friendly with Sharon slash Susan. They do let it breathe, I thought they showed great restraint in that. And I think that when eventually when she does go off the deep end and when she does start going crazy, um, I think it made it more startling. And I think it did make for a better character moment and all around for a better movie. Agreed. They don't go right for evil stepmother. They don't even go right for, well, she's marrying this guy for money and she wants nothing to do with the child. There is like a genuine olive branch there. So I think her character toes that line perfectly. Here's my question. And it it goes back to, geez, it doesn't seem like they were at this camp for very long. How did her dad meet this woman, bring her into the home, and decide she's going to marry her in a matter of weeks? Yeah, that's where a little bit of context with the timing would have gone a long way. However, I will actually give that one a pass. If they were dating and he didn't tell Susan yet, but because he proposed and was ready to take that next step, I mean, clearly Mitch has a problem saying how he feels. We see it later when we realize that's why he lost Maggie in the first place. Uh, 
we see it straight up because he does a terrible job of telling Susan, Susan played by Sharon, who Vicky really is. And I love this scene so much because he's trying to have this bonding moment with Susan. He tells Vicky, give us the day. I want to spend some time with her, but I will break the news and make sure she knows. So when he sits her down to tell her, he's struggling. And then it turns into what you think is going to be a conversation where they have to discuss the birds and the bees. And it's so funny because, you know, they're they're peppering in that little bit of humor, but also showing, showing the struggle that he has as a single father trying to relate to his daughter. Whereas on the other end of it, Maggie and Susan have a much easier time creating the bond as a mother and daughter. So it's a great scene to juxtapose what's going on in Boston. You get a funny moment between the two of them, but it also plants a lot of seeds for Mitch's character and why his first marriage fell apart. And that's why I think they succeed greatly in creating conflict um, and sympathy towards Susan, who is now in Boston playing the part of Sharon when she does not want to give up her time with her mother. When she, you know, to put it in perspective, she's never met her mother. It means more to her to get an extra day or two with her mother and not fly her back to California right away than it is to stop her father from marrying this woman because she just trusts that Sharon is going to do it. Right. And on Sharon's end of it, yes, she wants her time with her father, but she realizes that Susan's whole life is going to be affected and that she's in too far over her head. Like, yes, I can aesthetically play your part. And I met dad and it's great, but this is too much for me right now. You need to get back here. Right. Now, eventually they do expose what's going on. And it's I love that her grandfather is the one that calls her out because he listens in on the phone call. And I love that he is the one that pushes her to expose herself as Susan. I think that scene is great, as is the scene that she has with her mother. He is probably my favorite character in this film. He reminds me so much of the grandfather for Meet Me in St. Louis. And I didn't think I could love a film grandpa any more than that. But he is so fantastic. Um, The reveal scene is great. Just based on how the grandmother is laundry laundry listing all of these events and planning Sharon's every move for her, I don't believe that the mother would have been single this long. That was another place where my my wheels started spinning. How was she not forced to remarry by her socialite mother at this point? Unless they didn't want it exposed. Maybe it was more... Perhaps it was more uh, embarrassing to expose that they had a failed marriage that split a family apart in which they never told the children they had a sibling than it was to just have her live as a single woman. Interesting. And that would also cover why she's still living with them. Correct. Because they just want everything hush-hush. All right, I'll give you that one. What I don't like, I mean, the grandfather finding out and pushing it is great. I love Verbena as a character, but what I don't like is that she's totally onto them. And the odds of them ever finding their twin were so slim. It's like, how did you figure this out? Or, or how do you even believe that you figured it out? And it's from like the minute she gets there. It's right. Like, 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 Something's like, just off. It's like she's the Susan Whisperer. She's the Oracle. You know what I mean? Like, 
it's one thing when the dog will not come play with her and he'll just bark at her because this is an intruder. But other than right. that, Verbena's just like, there's something about you that's different. I know it. Right. There's no, uh, like a scar. They could have covered it, which I is kind of derivative. Well, not derivative because this came way before. But I think it takes two, which is a sort of remake of this, even though they take enough liberties. I think they do a much better job of just, well, they're not twins separated at birth. It's just the phenomenon of you look exactly alike. And they spend the whole movie trying to figure out how they can stay together. Right. But they do the, uh, you know, instead of a tomboy and a debutante, it's a drastic chain, you know, drastic gap between the rich and the poor. And their whole backstory is different. But one of the things that's telling is that they have a scar. And you could have done something. It can't be a birthmark because they are twins. They would have the same one. Um, there just had to be more of a giveaway for Verbena to figure it out. So maybe the earrings or something. It, maybe, but all right. So we're in Boston now. We're flying out to California to stop this wedding, and as we fly in, uh, Vicky and her mother, her mother who has the most haunting voice of all time, and I don't mean that in a good way. <laughs> they're there with a minister or a preacher who they also call a doctor. Um, there, there's a lot going on here. You have a doctor slash minister. You have Margaret, who's also Peggy, but Maggie. You've got Susan and Sharon, and this one plays this one. It's, there's, there's a lot of names. There's really only like five or six characters in this movie, but there's two dozen names that they all go by. Um, but you get them now in California, and the comedy of errors that ensues... This, to me, very much holds up when the mother is showering and puts on her ex-husband's robe and he goes and he sees her and he falls into the lake and then he goes to get showered off and he finds undergarments and they're, they're, they're kind of just lingering around and the whole thing is just, it's hysterical. It's absolutely hysterical. It's fantastic. And this is where I feel like you didn't need to waste so much time at camp. I mean, I get it. These girls needed a week or however long to learn from the other one what they needed to do so that they had every habit and every tick down. But you didn't need to necessarily play that out on screen. You could have done it in a in an even faster montage. Because it wastes so much time getting us to this point. And I did feel like the film was starting to drag until this sort of ripped it wide open. When Maggie meets Vicky, the subtext in her speech is so brilliant. She's taking all these digs at Vicky and how young she is with a smile on her face and the most over-the-top, sweet, saccharine voice I mean, you know she's taking digs, but she covers her tracks flawlessly. She's almost as extra as Mrs. Robinson, Vicky's mother. This is the best scene in the movie. Hands down. By far. I don't care that you wrecked the, the dance hall. This is better. And it's at this moment that you realize that this movie is not about the twins. It's about the parents. Yes. And I think this is where the movie does take off because you're right. The pacing at camp is janky, and it drags a little bit. I also think that they spend a little too much time in Boston and a little too much time in California where they're not cutting back and forth quite as much to keep the action or the pace going. You kind of like, 
you kind of get settled into Boston and now you're in California and then you get settled into California and now you're back in Boston. Which uh, I feel like when we have discussed a lot of the uh, early live action Walt era films, whether it be 20,000 Leagues or whether it be Swiss Family Robinson or, or this, or this is it's sort of less guilty than the other two films, um, where the pacing at times is just a little too slow. Um, in spite of the fact that those films are great. This is where the movie takes off. And I agree with you. I wish we would have had a little less time at camp. I wish we had had a little less time, even in Boston and California. I, I feel like those could have been trimmed a little bit to speed it up to get us to this point. Right, because you need all of those scenes. Maybe not Verbena catching on, but you need the scene where he... Where, uh, Susan or Sharon as Susan is putting Vicky down. You need Mitch trying to tell Susan that they're engaged. Yes. You need Vicky getting angry with him for not being able to just come right out and say it. You need uh you need the bonding on the other end with her mother. Uh you need the setup of the phone call. So all of that absolutely needs to happen to push story forward, but the scenes could have been much tighter. One of the scenes that I love, too, that we didn't really talk about is when Sharon does finally blow up and tell her mother that yes. she knows everything. Um, she says everything that needed to be said. She calls out her parents for a terrible decision. Actually, she she does. Uh, what does she say? It's lousy. What you did yeah. is lousy. Yeah. It, and it is. But. I couldn't figure out why that happened there and not when the two of them, that would have been such a better bonding for the two of them as sisters to realize our parents are the enemies here. And instead it just speaks to their characters as they're such good people. They just want to mend their family and get the family back together and not blame the parents for tearing them apart. So you did need all of that to happen, but to your point, yes, this is a film about the parents. So that it, if it was a, a movie now, if this was like a Marvel movie, let's say, that camp scene would have all happened before the opening title sequence, and then you would have started with the parents. Yeah. Could you imagine that dun 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 with <laughs> Haley Mill? I just put that visual out in your mind. One of the other really good scenes, as cheesy as it is, but it's a great scene, is when they reenact the first date at the Italian restaurant in New York City. I think it's great that the kids do it. It's hokey, it's cheesy, but they're 13 years old. What I can't get past is that the body double, who up to this point is actually, I mean, we don't see her face really with the exception of a few slips. Um, she's done a pretty good job, I felt. Um, but when they're playing Let's Get Together, when they cut to the body double, she's not playing any chords on the guitar. She's just, like, holding the neck and bopping back and forth. She doesn't have any fingers on frets. She doesn't have any, any fingers on strings. She's sort of just holding the neck and strumming. But when you cut to Haley Mills, she is playing chords. I am surprised that for the perfectionist that Walt Disney was, that they let that go. Right, because obviously it's a credit to Haley Mills and her acting... Or maybe she does know how to play the guitar. I don't know. The piano, yes, obviously she does. Well, yeah, you got one on the piano and one on the guitar, and they're cutting back and forth. Right, but 
Haley is in the wider shots and the body double because it's it's the split screen with the wider shots. Then the body double is in the close ups. So that's when you're really going to notice that she's not playing the actual chords. And I would have preferred I mean, like I said, it's a credit to Haley Mills, but if she didn't know the chords it would be a lot more forgivable because you're not necessarily going to know the, notice them in the wide shots, especially back in the day when you're like, oh, my God, both of them are in the same shot. That's what you're focused on, not, oh, this girl doesn't know how to play the guitar. I mean, in the But scene, in a close-up, it's bad. It is. But the scene otherwise is spectacular, where they're singing and dancing next to each other. It, I mean, it's flawless. It's absolutely flawless. They don't miss a beat. It's incredible, and... The the house and the set just look stunning with the lights and, you know, they've got this romantic dinner. Uh, it's very much Lady and the Tramp-esque. You've got the red and white picnic table, the Italian restaurant. It's so cute. But what destroys it for me is that Maggie escalates things far too quickly. She starts fishing for a compliment in, from Mitch and then because she realizes what's going on. Yeah. And she's trying her best to play the part and trying to give the girls what they want and trying to mend the fence, so to speak. But we don't really know other than for the sake of the girls why she's trying to do this. Like, are you really falling for him again? Or is it just the circumstance? Are you caught up in the wine and the moonlight? I just wish we would have had a beat where we got a little bit more of a read on her internally. And if she actually wants this or not. Or if she's trying to do this for the sake of her family. But then she starts fishing for the compliment. He doesn't give it to her. And she blows up at him and starts digging up the past. And this is why... I never, you know, you always did this, blah, 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 on and on and on. She completely blows up. And I feel like that was so unmotivated. So what? He didn't tell you look, you look beautiful? He's engaged to another woman right now. Well, and that's you're, the other thing, right? You're, yeah, you're going way too far ahead. However, this scene is totally worth it for her stinger when she takes a dig at Vicky and she calls her a child bride with electric hips. I was like, damn, that holds up today. It does. But to your point... That was something that bothered me here. She's digging for compliments, but he is, whether they like it or not, engaged to this other woman. I know we're rooting for the other woman to fail, and predictably she's going to, but until such time that she does something in front of him, because we've seen how nasty she is with the girls. She calls them pets. We've seen it. We know he doesn't know. We know, but he doesn't know. So until such time that he knows and it comes to an end... He's not going to pay a compliment to this other, to his ex-wife when he's engaged to his current fiance. Right. You had him and lost him. So you can't get mad at him for that. And apparently, if you're, if, if, if you believe everything that you hear, um, you kind of get the feeling that it was as much Maggie's fault as it was Mitch's fault because she slugs him in the face earlier in the movie, gives him a black eye. And he said, why do you always have to get physical like this? So it's, it reminded me of The Hangover. She beats him. Like that's <laughs> what it reminded me of. And it's like, yikes. Like, you guys really did have a lot of problems. I shouldn't laugh because spousal abuse is not funny. But I can see where, at the time, this would have had a lot of shock value because 
women were viewed as the weaker sex and to see a woman slap a man and be able to sort of match him physically and take him out like that, it was something that you didn't really see. But in this case, I think her blow up, I I mean, yes, punching him was horrible, but the seemingly unmotivated, unmotivated blow up, I think is supposed to be a character moment to show that she easily flies off the handle. Yeah. And that's where she was at fault for their marriage not working out. Because up until now, because the father is engaged, he sort of becomes not necessarily villainized, but he's definitely an antagonist because he's not helping to get them back together. So we've sort of fallen in love with the mother at this point, especially because she bonded so easily with Sharon. She's coming up smelling like roses now. So you kind of had to bring her back down a peg. Yeah. Let's talk about the camping trip because Vicky is going crazy that Maggie, Peggy, Margaret, Maureen O'Hara, whatever you want to call her (laughs) this time is going to go on this camping trip. And Maggie kind of tricks her. Eggs her on, tricks her into taking her spot. The And you know she's a fish out of water when she goes on this trip. There's a lot of things that go right here. And there are some other things that, to me, kind of miss. Um, I'll tell you what I think works well. The pranks that they play on her are hysterical. The fact that they really lay it on with the banging of the sticks to keep the mountain lions away. Um, <laughs> That's great. When they're standing on each other's shoulders to show that the water's not deep so that she would take a step in and go under. Hysterical. All hysterical. The sugar water instead of the bug repellent and she's getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. Mm. I, I love it. so, so brilliant, but they miss the setup. They give her... Maggie, or Maggie, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> Vicky. Vicky says that she's g- getting eaten alive by mosquitoes, and she realizes that it is sugar water, but we never see the plant. Which, oh, we don't need that, I don't think. It's forgivable. You know that they did it. Um, what I will say is when they finally get her in her tent, and they rig... Pretty much the same setup that Susan did at Sharon's camp. That sort of justifies spending so much time at Camp Inch setting everything up. Because now they just recycled the same prank, but it's believable why they knew how to do it and they could do it so quickly. They actually put her in real danger, though. Because they have uh, bear cubs licking her feet. Mama can't be too far off. And that's my point. Where they kind of brush it off. They're like, it's just a bear cub. It wouldn't hurt a fly. Yeah, but the mother's going to be... The mother's not far away. You could have gotten her killed. That's where the whole like, and it's not like comedically like, oh, you you were scared of a little bear. Like, no, it's like, that's a terrifying thing. Anybody would be horrified. The fact that they play it off like, what, it's, it's not a big deal. It, like, with the lizard, it makes sense. With the tree lizard, it makes sense. And she acts like it's Godzilla. This is a bear. Two of them. You don't know where the mother is. Yeah. It's okay to be scared here. Right. And the girls don't really suffer the consequences for it. Like, Mitch doesn't say anything. And I get it. He sort of shrugs it off because they did do him a favor and he recognizes that by eliminating Vicky. And the other thing that totally gets lost in the shuffle and why the girls 
do seemingly get away with murder is because Vicky's reaction is so strong. Like trashing the camp is one thing, but she throws a coffee pot at um at Mitch. No, oh, no not at, at Mitch, uh, his friend, whose name I keep forgetting. W- uh, but he works at the ranch. Like we'll get to him. Hinky or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, she throws a coffee pot at his head and barely misses him. Um, and then she slaps one of the girls. Right. Well, she has that line, you guys are twins. Do you share everything with each other? Which actually is a great line. Yeah. She's like, I hope you feel this or something she like said, that. She, she slapped the one girl and said, share that with your sister. Yeah. And that's where Mitch comes in and he sees, you know, it's revealed to him finally what a horrible person that she is. So I guess that's why you're obviously not going to discipline the girls and be like, well, I know she slapped you, but you did set her up to get attacked by a bear. But he's more upset that she's throwing all the food away. He's like, that food, what are you doing? What are you doing? And when she slaps the kids, he's you like, slapped a child. And yeah. he goes, hey, they didn't deserve that. Meanwhile, I mean, they d- they did kind of get they did trail for i mean kind of they planted bait for bears um they kind of did deserve it i hate to say it and i don't like vicky but they knew that bears were coming they used honey they knew what they were doing right but vicky still gets a ride home yeah and then she gets a ride home i mean she's covered in honey so are you really gonna send her through the woods by herself no but as far as a comeuppance moment you can't you can't say, well, you slapped my kid, but we'll we'll get you back there safely. Yeah. I mean, I understand. You don't want to see her slap the kid. But at the same time, I, I don't know that if 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 somebody hadn't uh, or if somebody had planted honey in my camping tent to attract a bear to me, I am not sure that I would not at a minimum slap somebody. <laughs> but his reaction that she threw the food away and he was more mad about that than he was anything else was kind of it was a strange decision. That they, again, for perfection, that they kind of let that one go. But now we get back to the house. The camping trip's over. And it's while it's kind of quick, I really like the reconciliation that the parents have. That they're both kind of admitting their flaws, or at least Mitch is, and admitting that they're, they have flaws, but they still work together. I think Maureen O'Hara does a phenomenal job when she's acting and she's like smiling but crying and she won't face him and we only see her on the camera and we're seeing like with every other thing he says how she's taken with it. It's a really, really good scene. What I love most about it is that it takes place in the kitchen. That, you know, we we said this is more about the parents than it is about the children. So your typical rom-com ending, being that it is focused on the couple... I think you can sort of call this a rom-com as much as it is a coming-of-age film. Um, You would expect to see this big romantic gesture from Mitch and maybe set it up, or maybe he's recreating their first date and having Verbena cook for them again. Um, That's not the case at all. It's just in the kitchen, just a sweet, everyday moment. And Maggie because she thought she would be leaving with Sharon, she said, I cooked for you and Susan for the next couple of nights. Like she, she did the motherly thing and provided for her kid. Um, and, and put taking care of her family above everything else. And I think it's just such a sweet moment to have. It's a slice of life moment. It didn't need that big spectacle of an ending. And honestly, I think it could have ended right here instead of showing the wedding. 
Yeah, but we see it and we see that they live happily ever after. But at the same time, the whole point is to put the family back together. And yes, you get confirmation in the wedding, but I would have preferred just that slice of life moment because that's what they're going for. And you didn't need the fairy tale ending necessarily. I think that makes it more realistic. It was Walt Disney in 1961. You were going to get the fairy tale ending. Right. And one more split screen of them walking down the aisle. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the uh, cast and the characters here. Haley Mills starring in a dual role, Sharon and Susan. And it's worth noting that Susan Henning was the body double because she wasn't credited. I think I love Summer Magic. It's my favorite of the Haley Mills films that we have watched for this show. It's one of my favorite movies, period. But she's so good in this. I, I think... Of, of what we've watched and, and reviewed, this is the best Haley Mills performance in in the three that we have reviewed so far. She's incredible. I mean, you are carrying the weight of this entire film. And like we said, could you have cast twins? Would it have been cheaper and easier to make this movie? Sure. Was Walt Disney flexing a little bit? Of course he was. Part of the reason, though, not to cast a twin, aside from proving what you can achieve technologically, is because she's a known actress, and yes, she's going to fill seats at the box office, but the other thing is that she's a talented actress. You know what you're getting. Whereas, like, with the Olsen twins, one of them is a better actor than the other is. Right. So you run a huge risk casting twins in a film if one of them is not as strong as the other so you know by giving Haley this role that the entire movie is going to rest on her shoulders and she holds it up the only thing that I I wish was better about her performance and it's not a knock at her that god-awful wig it's pretty bad I appreciate that they didn't make her cut her hair but her forehead is different sizes all of the time The way that they do her hair, yeah. I mean, I'll give them credit because Susan, in a lot of scenes, like grabs at her hair and tugs at it when she has a big realization. Yeah. And the thing doesn't move. So it's good, but the placement is off a lot of the times. And it it looks like the terrible wig that it is. You can tell. Yeah. Maureen O'Hara plays Margaret, Maggie, Peggy... She's the mom. I think she was spectacular in this movie. And I wish we would have maybe seen her do more Disney films. But this was her one and done. There was a little bit of controversy here. Oh? And it's actually... It may have a negative impact on your impression of her. In her contract... She demanded top billing. And they gave it to Haley Mills. So she refused to ever work with Disney again because she didn't get top bill on the film. Wow. Um, I mean, legally, she's not wrong. If no. it's in her contract, legally, she's not wrong. See, uh, I'm kind of torn over that because why are you making a big deal over... Top billing over Haley Mills. To me, if you had fought for top billing over a man, 
I'd have nothing but respect for you. Then I would see what you're fighting for. But I mean, she's a kid and she's the main character. Well, the main character, but we've just spent almost an hour talking about how this is a film about the parents. So, and you could argue that they are supporting. Like story-wise, the way that they push the story forward, they're pushing her story forward technically. Yes, but while I do think this is a film about the parents, she's the lead. And because of the starring Haley Mills and Haley Mills in this technologically groundbreaking film, I mean, what did you think was going to happen? Right. And she had a six-film contract with Disney, and you had a one-film contract with Disney. Oh, wow. Haley Mills did. Oh, I thought you meant Maureen O'Hara. I no, was this like, wait, was, no. this broke a contract? No. Okay, I No, get it. it didn't. Well, I mean... <laughs> It shouldn't have mattered to her because that's the thing. It's not like the girl, the girls, it's not like Haley Mills upstaged her. I mean, she's so charming and so witty and so funny and so gorgeous. I mean, to me, she was a scene stealer. She was great. As was Brian Keith, who plays Mitch. I liked him a lot. I thought he was really good. He, he, he definitely pulled off the... I've done well for myself. I've got millions in the bank, but at the end of the day, I was raised on a ranch. This is just what I am, and I don't know how to talk to anybody. Right, but he pulls it off in a way where you don't feel like he's the clueless single dad. You can see where yes. he tries. You can see where he cares. I actually really liked him. I thought he was going to be more aloof than he is. Correct. Joanna Barnes plays Vicky. I mean, she's so good. She's great. And she, uh, she got cast in the uh, Lindsay Lohan remake. Yes. She makes a cameo as Mrs. Robinson, Vicky's mother. Right. Speaking of parents in this film, Kathleen Nesbeth and Charlie Ruggles play the grandmother and the grandfather. You know, they're background characters, but I just think the grandfather is so endearing that I thought that Charlie Ruggles was so good that it was worth bringing them up again. I absolutely adore him i mean yeah the grandmother's an interesting character because she's just so regimented um but yeah the grandpa just steals every single scene and you want to talk about top billing this man made over a hundred films he was in rocky and bullwinkle he was in the monsters he was on the andy griffith show i mean this guy is like a hollywood legend yeah and una merkel who yeah. plays verbena She's great. We haven't talked about Verbena a lot. I love her. She's fantastic. She's, I mean, yeah, it's, like I said, she's kind of this uh, Susan Whisper, and it comes on a little thick, a little fast, but I love the whole, like, I'm going to say it, but you know, I don't say anything, because <laughs> we all have a cousin that's like that. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, because she's so nice, you wouldn't expect her to be the gossip, but she totally is. She totally twists the knife when it comes to anything Mitch-related, but she's just so great. I mean, the only knock that I have against her, and it has nothing to do with the actress and everything to do with the character, is that she's on to Sharon from the jump. It's it's just a plot hole in the story that they could have filled in a little bit better, but other than that, Verbena's awesome. Crayhan Denton plays Hecky, the ranch foreman. Good comic relief. I I mean what else there's not he he he's fun I like him he kind of has that farmhand from Wizard of Oz thing going on love that um but yeah I thought he was fine 
And you know what, too? They are great counterparts because you don't yeah. have grandparents on this side. They are believable roles. And they give you enough of the backstory and enough for Sharon as Susan to bounce off of while she's there. Yeah. Let's talk about the three songs that the Sherman Brothers wrote for the film, starting with the title song, The Parent Trap. Funny enough... <laughs> One of our favorites. Make me laugh, Sean. Babes in Toyland was being shot at the same time that this was. And Tommy Sands and Annette Funicello were pulled from set to go sing the title track for this. And I knew that I recognized the voices from somewhere. Right. And I just couldn't help but laugh because we were so unkind to Babes in Toyland, which while deservedly so, I love the fact that people are listening to monorail radio. But why people keep listening to that review in particular, I don't quite understand. I said it once. I'll say it again. You want to go see a good adaptation? Go watch March of the Wooden Soldiers. But if you're going to watch that one, okay, it's your loss. Um, But I thought it was funny that a movie that we really were unkind to just between that and (laughs) we'll get like 30 downloads on it on Fourth of July weekend, which is so strange because it's a Christmas movie. This movie... Babes in Toyland, it's like it's like the itch it's the itch that doesn't go away. It's the mosquito bite that doesn't heal. It just keeps going. I do love though that Annette Funicello, even though she was older, did get her little piece of a kids movie because really, not that Haley Mills replaced her, but she did just get aged out of these roles. I'm sure that you know, if she still was young enough, Disney would have put her in this instead of Haley Mills. So I, I like the little hat tip there. Right. The hat tip in the budget save, because I guarantee you they didn't get compensation for singing this song. It was just paid as another set day. And it probably came out of the Babes in Toyland budget. Yeah. So it's and, and Annette Funicello actually does sing Let's Get Together, which is what is being played out of the record player at the dance so you get two versions of this you get that one and they plant it early and then it comes full circle when the girls sing it at the phony italian restaurant i love that they did this i don't know if that was a sherman brothers idea or a disney idea but i thought it was so brilliant that and we've never seen anything like it since where they have the radio hit and the characters are singing it not until really zootopia where you've put Shakira's character into the film where she belongs in that world and the characters are listening to the same song that we are. Yeah. And actually that song, uh, let's get together. But the one that's sung by Haley Mills did reach number eight on the U S charts. So it was a big commercial success for them too, just as a single. And for now, and for, uh, for now, for always is the song that Maureen O'Hara sings. And she just does a beautiful job with it. It's great. Okay. So, with all of that being said, um, let's move on to our final review. I'm going to bat lead off on this one. I think that this was a prime candidate for a remake. Um, And that's not to say that this movie isn't very good. It was just a good candidate for a remake. But, I think that even though it was a candidate for a remake... This movie, I think, still holds up. I find this movie to be enjoyable. I think I think Haley Mills is incredible. I think the whole cast is great. There are questions that are never answered 
And it sort of bothers me that we never really find out why the kids were separated. But as I remember it, they don't answer that question in the remake either. Um, they kind of just leave it as it is. Um, it, like I've repeatedly said, it's based on a book. It's not a Disney original story. So if that's how it's written in the book and Disney wanted to stay with the book and they didn't think that it was worth exploring, okay, fine. They've done this movie twice, two times. They don't really explore the explanation. I'd like to know why, but I don't think it necessarily hurts the movie. I think I think the janky pacing for the first half an hour hurt the movie more than that question in and of itself. So I think that it's a good mix of heart and comedy. Um, and I think that they just pull everything off so well. And I think the performances are so good that any question I have about the story, I'm just willing to overlook it. I think that by far... This is the, as I said before, it's the best Haley Mills we've seen. I don't think it's the best movie. I still think Summer Magic is the best film, but this is the best performance. And I would rank this high on my list, not as high as when you think about those really classic, classic era Disney films. It's not better than Mary Poppins or Summer Magic or uh, 20,000 Leagues or Treasure Island or even Swiss Family Robinson. But those movies are so good, um, it's almost unfair to put it in the same perspective. I think it's a classic, and I think that everybody should see it if you are a Disney fan. And I think that while it's not as good as the rest of those, I'd say it's a half a step behind. I wouldn't even say it's a full step behind. I would agree with that. Uh, admittedly, on the first viewing, when you know I had a page full of notes within the first five, ten minutes of screen time, and more of them were questions that led to more questions and I had no answers, I really thought I was going to trash this film. And I was sitting there going, this is the infamous parent trap. This is the original. This is the groundwork for what they barely elaborated on in the Lindsay Lohan one, because a lot of these questions still remain unanswered in the remake. Uh, there are just certain things that they addressed a little bit more with time uh, and made more relevant to it taking place in 1998 versus the 60s. Um, so at that point, I was like, they bothered to remake it and it's not even better. And now having really delved into it and broken it down, you're right. A lot of the flaws can be overlooked, which is not something I say very often because to me there's nothing that is more unforgivable than problems with story. But the movie is just so darn charming. Uh, I would go so far as to say it is as charming as Summer Magic uh, because the characters are just so brilliant. They're so well-developed. Um where the pacing is janky, and I hate saying that because, yes, the pacing is slow, but believe it or not, this film got nominated for Best Editing at the Academy Awards. But that's really because of the technology. Right. What they managed to do with the split screen and the double exposure makes up for the fact that these scenes drag on. And that's not just a fault of the editor. It's, it's the writing, too, because this is very dialogue heavy as well. But once this film really hits its stride and they all get to California, the dialogue is just so 
brilliant. It's humorous. The subtext is fantastic. Um, and, and yeah, it does make up for a lot of the things that could have been fleshed out a little bit better, but I think it's a classic. Uh, I don't know that it was worth the remake. I'd have to really like break down the remake again, which we will do eventually. Um, I don't think they could ever remake it again, though. No. Because you're going to have a kid go to their cell phone, pull up Ancestry DNA, and and you're done. No kid is ever going to relate to this the way that the generation did when it came out. Sure. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say about The Parent Trap. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey, everyone. This is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney. And when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. I have a quick story for you. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know, like everybody, I immediately went to the internet, started scouting prices, compiling lists, and uh, building my perfect vacation at Disney. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to Jackie. She mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people. So I gave her my uh, list, my itinerary. She looked it over, and when she came back to me, she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks. However, she also had new pricing associated with it. Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing. Jackie was able to beat the majority of the pricing within my list and saving me a ton of money, but she has the insight and the connections to do so. On top of that, it was stress-free, so all my vacations in the future are going to be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it. I give her some information in regards to what I want to do, what my plans are for that week when I go visit Disney, and she'll make it happen and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. Myself, I go into a park, I immediately hop on the next line, I get a few fast passes, and at the end of the day, I don't accomplish everything like I would want to. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Way to go, Monoreal. Keep it going. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney trip, or maybe you have a Disney trip planned already and are looking for a better deal, get in touch with me. You can reach me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. If you have an event this year, perhaps a reunion or a corporate function or a wedding, Kelly has you covered. She's got that touch of Disney. Whether it's a save the date and invitation, a thank you card, table numbers, etc. and so forth, she's got it all. Plus, listeners of Monoreal Radio get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. To see everything that she has to offer, you can go to KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. Monsters at Work. This I'm excited for because I love Monsters, Inc. We got a trailer. The series has been pushed. Not terribly long, though. You won't have to wait very long. Yes, not Jungle Cruise bad. No. It went from being uh, something that was going to premiere on the 2nd of July to being pushed five days to the 7th of July. I'm going to go ahead and blame Loki for that because they probably want to let that one breathe and not, you know, keep the new content coming as opposed to doubling down. It could be. And I also think there might be something else 
that we're going to talk about in a few minutes that's going to happen that weekend that might be overshadowing uh, it. We're going to put a pin in that. Good one. Good we one. did get uh, some set picks, the first set pictures from the Little Mermaid rehearsals in uh, Sardinia, Italy. Um, yeah, I mean, we've we've got our Ariel. She's in her uh, mermaid tail. It's not, I don't think it's the full costume. I mean, the pictures are very blurry at best. I mean, they were taken from far away. I don't even know that these were supposed to be leaked, honestly. It looks like she's got the fins as a wetsuit bottom. So, I mean, I have yeah. to imagine they're going to be green screened in. Yes. Uh, but they're making progress on it. We have broken ground. Jamila Jamil has been cast as the villain Titania in She-Hulk. I don't know much about her, admittedly. You actually just told me right before we went on that she's the host of Misery Index with Impractical Jokers. Which we really need to start watching more. We've seen one or two episodes, but... I love the Impractical Jokers. Yeah. But I love them for what they do. And I guess that's why I never watched the Misery Index. I mean, they're not pulling practical jokes, but that camaraderie yeah. and the humor that they bring because they've known each other for so long, that's still all there. But um, yeah, she's the host of Misery Index and she was also in The Good Place. So good on her for uh, for breaking onto the silver screen now. Yeah, so here's the big thing. This to me is the biggest news of the week. And this is why I think maybe they pushed Monsters at Work. Because they only pushed it five days. It's not like they needed another three weeks or a month or two months because it's not rendered or they're still editing it. Right. It's five days. You're not going to do anything in post-production in five days. And people are at home Fourth of July weekend. You'd think people may catch up on their shows. But if there's anything they're going to be catching up on Disney-related, it's Magic Kingdom fireworks. Magic Kingdom fireworks are starting rehearsals in the Magic Kingdom June 26th and June 28th with a return show on the 4th of July. What we don't know right now is whether or not the public will be in attendance or if they are going to do it after hours and do a stream on the Disney Parks Facebook and YouTube page. Because they have said that fireworks shows are coming back at the end of July. Now, that could still be true. Public shows, public viewings may be coming at the end of July. But we're getting something July 4th. It's all exciting, folks. I wonder, and this is highly speculatory, which I don't normally like to do, but it's just kind of dawning on me now. I wonder if they do it after hours, but this is how they make up to the APs for Ooh. not being able to renew, not being able to buy new. I'm wondering if, if they're going to throw them the bone here. And you know what? If that's who gets to see it up front, in close and you know in person i'm all for it it's fair they've been waiting long enough you know yeah i agree but we want to know what you all have to say about the disney news this week are you excited about the photographs from the little mermaid set are you excited about the casting in she hulk how do you feel about magic kingdom fireworks let us know on twitter instagram facebook at monoreal radio email us monoreal radio at gmail.com thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on monoreal radio don't forget to like subscribe and rate us on your podcast platform of choice follow us on all of that social media tiktok included and for links to everything all the social media everywhere where you can find the show 
That's all online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.